0: Okay, Libby, are you ready to start off a, another fantastic episode? I'm ready. Are you?
1: Oh, um, yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, I'm actually not gonna be able to podcast. I'm I'm moving to Miami.
0: Wait, what? Why? Yeah
1: i I got a job with um, Rice Aroni. Uh, uh
0: it, isn't that the San Francisco treat?
1: Yeah they're they're rebranding their image. So.
0: Oh. Hello and welcome to another fantabulous episode of the OST Party. This is a movie soundtrack podcast where movie fans and music fans get together and have a rockin' good time talking about all of our favorite movie soundtracks. Hi, my name is Joseph Wade. I'll be your host for this evening. Here with me tonight, once again, is my lovely and belligerent co-host Libby Cudmore. Libby, how is quarantine treating you?
1: Well, I mean... It's great, because I, I just got back from Nepal. I mean, I should spend some time there. I bought the whole place.
0: Holy shit, yeah. I mean, you might as well, right? <laughs> How about you? Yeah, I've been doing good. Uh, I can't uh, continue the bit, so I'm just going to say, yeah, I'm I'm fine. I'm keeping myself <laughs> occupied. Um, good. This was a, a, a fun one to to sort of stave off the boredom for a couple hours.
1: Yeah, and we're, uh, once again, this is part two of our uh, Farrelly Brothers series again Oscar winner Peter Farrelly we're looking back at some of his early films
0: Mm -hmm. what the films that made him the award-winning class act director that he is today
1: yes yes exactly so today we are talking about uh 1998 so there's something about Mary
0: yes uh I guess I would say the breakout hit for the Farrelly's but you know Dumb and Dumber was huge
1: yeah and it's funny because we this one I think made them more of a household name because I was really surprised to find out that Dumb and Dumber came out earlier, but that's what this podcast is about. It's about learning. It's an educational podcast. So if you're listening to this, bring your kids in. They've got to learn. They're all being homeschooled right now. So let them listen along.
0: Yeah, listen. Arts education is already like getting cut across the board. So when you when you need someone to teach your kids art and music and film history, you bring them to us. And you know yes. what? You fucking deserve it. <laughs>
1: They're going to learn about a lot of classics today. Uh, Godfather of Punk and everything there. And some very, very, we've got an a anti-drug PSA from uh, the Lemonheads.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so before we get into any of that, though, uh, we do have a poll to discuss from our last episode. We have a Th-
1: couple of polls to discuss. So, uh, Joe, you have our polls. Take them away.
0: So from uh, the Romy and Michelle's high school reunion episode, uh, we did two brackets and then we put the winners head to head. So in the first bracket, uh, the winner with 60% of the vote was the Go-Go's Our Lips Are Sealed. Of course. Uh,
1: I'm sorry that the Vapors didn't win because I love them. And their new album is fucking fantastic, by mm, the way.
0: Yeah. The Vapors, so good. Vapors came in third place with 12.5% with Turning Japanese. Uh, the the uh, song Dance Hall Days by Wang Chung got second place with 17.5%. And in fourth place, The Smitherines, Blood and Roses, a mere 10%. Aw.
1: Uh,
0: so sad. But then moving on, the second bracket of four, uh, the, the very clear winner, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, from Tears for Fears, got 47% of the vote. And then uh, all three of the others tied for second place,
2: <laughs> 17%.
0: <laughs> Always something there to remind me, we got The Beat and Karma Chameleon, all a respectable second place. <laughs> so then pitting these two head to head our lips are sealed the go-go's and everybody wants to rule the world by tears for fears put them head to head which of these two songs was the best on the romey and michelle soundtrack well believe it or not they're both the best because they both tied at 50 percent.
1: wow have we ever had a tie before
0: i do not think so
1: all right that is an OS- know, guys?
0: that is an ost party first
1: yes way to not make a solid decision we appreciate that Mm -hmm.
0: yeah in in these troubled times it's nice to know that uh we we are still uh desperate for no no i don't know we're desperate for no clear winner (laughs) (laughs) and that's going to lead us into uh uh, election season 2020 so get ready for that everybody
1: christ almighty we're all gonna lose everybody's gonna, gonna whoever die. wins we
0: lose it's like yeah. alien versus predator <laughs>
1: <sighs> so, so tell us a little bit about there's something about mary because this was your pick okay you son of a bitch
0: <laughs> yeah this whole fairly experiment was my my idea so whoops um but yeah so the Farleys had Fair. a big hit with dumb and dumber and then for they, some
1: reason that we still haven't figured out.
0: Yes. Like some somebody like had a monkey's paw and they rubbed it just a little too hard, I think.
1: I think it was Ben Stiller.
0: It was, it was probably Ben Stiller, because yeah, this was the movie that really like broke him big into uh the A list, I guess. But mm-hmm. so I guess after Kingpin sort of didn't break big at the box office, the Fairleys kind of thought, well, this might be our last shot at a big studio comedy. So let's just put Every stupid thing we've ever wanted to do in a movie into the one movie, <laughs> and the result was there's something about Mary, which is kind of a romantic comedy, but also kind of a parody of romantic comedies
1: but also there's like a slight murder angle
0: yeah it's 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 more a movie about stalkers than it is anything else
1: but you like the stalkers it's it gets weird it gets really it's a lot it's a lot crammed into a movie. And I will say this, though, for its extreme late ninetiesness, which we'll break down, it weirdly all holds together. It's like yeah. all those threads, come, f- they, they come together and make a beautiful tapestry. It's like a zipper that doesn't <laughs> oh, no. catch your junk in it.
0: Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's a zipper that works as intended. Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: But yeah, like for as as transgressive and gross and just mean spirited as this movie is like a lot of people really loved it and still love it. And it's it kind of holds up.
1: I wouldn't say it's necessarily mean spirited. It's snarky spirited because it doesn't take it doesn't punch down, I think, as often as a lot of people remember it punching down. It definitely makes some choices that we wouldn't make today.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: But where it could be really cruel, it takes a step back and, Mm -hmm. and isn't. So good for, good for the Farrelly brothers for not being monsters. I guess the bar is really low for men right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, as as long as you don't limbo under the bar, you're fine. (laughs) But yeah, with like, I think, I think the reason I think it's too a little mean-spirited is because every time it goes into, like, romantic comedy territory, it just plays things a little too hard. hmm Like, it definitely leans into its R rating. Yes. And that's where, like, that that's the stuff that makes me cringe because, like, a lot of it really feels like, well, we're going to do our spin on a romantic comedy. You don't need to do that, but they did. Yeah. And, and now we have to deal with, you know scenes like chris elliott giving ben stiller uh dating advice like what to do before any big date and that's just not necessary
1: (laughs) yeah but it was definitely the the rise of the the raunch humor we had kind of that second coming of it oh yeah out of you know we're not doing porkies anymore but it's that kind of frat pack raunch that had its second wave in the late 90s and the Farrelly brothers were really leading that
0: right it was like thanks guys right it was like Oscar winner Peter Farrelly
1: (laughs) you're
0: not gonna let that go are you
1: (laughs) no never
0: you shouldn't because (sighs) fuck him never forget but yeah like this really led off like the 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 string of gross out comedies like this and I guess the American Pie movies and like I know David Spade made a movie that was like a direct ripoff of this So, like, they were everywhere in the late 90s and early 2000s. Like, you just couldn't get away from it. So, thanks a lot, Something About Mary.
1: Yes, but with a lot of these movies came incredible soundtracks. I will give the Farrelly brothers this. Their soundtracks have consistently been amazing. We're going to see that take a hard, hard nosedive in a future episode. (laughs) Yes. But this soundtrack, while not as good as the dumb and dumber soundtrack is more solid.
0: It's very consistent, yeah. Yeah,
1: it doesn't the dumb and dumber soundtrack had some real weak spots with uh green jelly and a couple other tracks that were less than pleasurable, but two months later I'm still listening to too much of a good thing and insomniac.
0: Yeah, it's a solid soundtrack. I think it's just a few too many unfortunate cover songs.
1: Yeah, and this one is pretty consistent throughout
0: yeah yeah
1: so this this has a good it it takes some weird turns uh with the inclusion of jonathan richmond of uh (laughs) jonathan richmond the modern lovers as the film's narrator which was a very 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 weird choice and i don't love it but i applaud it
0: i appreciate it when it when (laughs) it pops up
1: because it's just such an odd thing to have chosen to do
0: yeah, like, if, if a regular, like, a typical romantic comedy had done something like this, you would remember it. Mm-hmm. Instead, they put it in this kind of weird, uh, s- like, slapstick kind of parody of a romantic comedy. I'm going to keep calling it a parody because I think it is. I don't think it's yeah. taking itself seriously with yeah. the love story.
1: Well,
0: but I yeah, agree. It it works more often than it doesn't. I'll say that.
1: So Even though I, I'm not a Jonathan Richmond fan. I just, I don't get him
0: the The thing that i noticed watching this movie like when he he shows up at the very beginning he is not a very good lip syncer nope he is not good at lip syncing because you can tell he's singing but he's like not strumming this guitar in tune and he's not singing the song in time and it's like this shot is too complicated and we just need to move on if he fucked it up that's too bad
1: <laughs> but you wonder then if that's part of the act maybe Because it's almost, like, deliberately bad.
0: Yeah. Like, it's... In in a movie where so many things are, like, kind of expertly staged and crafted, that's, like, noticeably off. Yeah. So I wonder, Jonathan
1: Richmond is noticeably off. True. Like, just as that's his stage presence. There's a sort of childlikeness to it. It's it's not quite, like, so bad it's good. But it wasn't as well crafted as some of his contemporaries and that sort of earns him that godfather of punk Mm -hmm. label
0: here's a quick question though if you were making this movie who would you replace him with and the answer can't be elvis costello go i was
1: gonna say david byrne
0: okay i'm i will accept that
1: they sort of come from that same era of when when punk wasn't what we sort of think of as punk Mm -hmm. now where it was anything that wasn't rock and roll. It it could have been, it was the Stooges, it was Blondie, it was the Ramones, it was Jonathan Richmond, and none of those sound the same. Right. The Sex Pistols do not sound like the Talking Heads.
2: True, yeah.
0: But they were
1: all under that banner as it was still sort of finding its way. And so I think someone like David Byrne While Talking Heads was much more elaborate musically than Jonathan Richman, David Byrne still has that wonderful weirdness. And if any of you have seen uh, The Sack Lunch Bunch, you know what I'm talking about.
0: Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs)
1: Like, it's just very stagey sort of nervousness. Mm -hmm. But I do love that opening shot of Jonathan Richmond in the tree. Not just because it's Jonathan Richmond in the tree. It's that his drummer is also in the tree.
0: (laughs) Yeah. The drummer's always tagging along.
1: So yeah, just a guy in a tree would be okay. It's <laughs> just no. that little extra addition. But
0: I just that's, think it's funny. I hadn't thought about that until just now, but that's like the perfect way to start the film because like those two guys are hanging out in a tree watching these people, and like that's the whole movie. Is two yeah. guys hanging out in a tree watching a girl.
1: Yeah. Essentially. They're stocky our protagonists. So yeah. then let's start off uh right well. We never even told our good listeners what this movie was about. We got off on a tangent <laughs> on Jonathan Richmond,
0: Right, we did, yeah. So, um, also, we even didn't even talk about uh, billboarding school. I have some of that, too. but oh, cool.
1: uh, let's, let's go to it. Let's
0: go to it. Okay. Real quick side note, sidebar. Uh, we're going to take a detour into billboarding school real quick. So, this hit the billboard charts August 15th, 1998 at number 185. That week, the numbers one and two soundtracks in – a or no, the numbers – ugh. That week – the numbers one and two albums in America were Beastie Boys as Hello Nasty and the Armageddon soundtrack.
1: Oh, God. Our nemesis, the Armageddon soundtrack.
0: Yeah, it's looming on the horizon like, you know, some giant meteor that's about to hit the earth. I don't know. I, for
1: one, <laughs> welcome the giant meteor from Armageddon.
0: <laughs> Me Now, did,
1: did you own the There's Something About Mary soundtrack?
0: I uh, didn't back in the day. I bought it for this. Okay. Yeah.
1: So I did not, my stepdad's friend Rob had it, and I borrowed it from him, and I think taped a couple songs off it. Okay. Yep. So, or probably burned them with my fancy CD burner.
0: Ooh, yeah. I know. That's, 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 that's a, a hot commodity in
1: 1998.
0: Yep. <laughs> uh, so this album peaked at number 132 in its third week, lasted for seven weeks. The number 1 soundtrack the week this fell off the charts was the soundtrack to Rush Hour.
1: I don't even know what's on the soundtrack to Rush Hour.
0: It's I, I, as far as I know it's an hour and a half of Chris Tucker screaming. I don't know.
1: I just yeah assumed that it was him yeah you know, saying, "Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth over like a Fat Boy Slim
0: 15 different remixes?"
1: Piece. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Maybe. Uh but yeah, so there's something about Mary is about this A sad sack guy named Ted, played by Ben Stiller, who had a date with this beautiful girl named Mary, played by Cameron Diaz. In her
1: second appearance here on OST Party.
0: Yes, yes. Um, And her bag
1: Charlize Theron, Mm -hmm. as she's known in these parts.
0: (laughs) Uh, They're supposed to go to the prom. Ted goes to pick her up, has an accident, quote unquote. Mm. And then we cut to, what is it, like 15 years later?
1: 13 years, 13
0: years later, Mary has moved on. Ted has moved on. He's lost, lost touch with her. And he's like in therapy over this (laughs) This has been eating away at him for 13 years. So his friends finally convince him to hire a detective to go find Mary and uh, tell him how she's doing so that they can maybe reconnect with her. And along the way, the uh, the private eye played by Matt Dillon falls in love with Mary himself. And then Ted gets involved and he starts to compete for Mary's heart and everyone starts coming out of the woodwork trying to get a piece of Mary because as the film, as film's title tells us, there's something about Mary that drives these people crazy.
1: <laughs> well, probably because she looks like Cameron Diaz in 1998.
0: You know what? I get it.
1: Yeah. She's pretty.
0: She pretty. <laughs> uh, so where do we want to begin on this magical journey through the soundtrack?
1: Well, let's, I say we take it right off the top uh, with Jonathan Richmond's There's Something About Mary. Let's His go to a clip. would say
0: stop whining, they've had enough of that. His friends would say stop pining, there's other girls to look at. They've tried to set him up with Tiffany and Indigo, but there's something about Mary that they don't know.
1: So, I think we should lump all the Jonathan Richmond in together. Okay. Because there's a nice progression that goes through the film. And this one starts very simply it's just him and his guitar and his drummer up in the tree. And one of the things you have to think about with Jonathan Richmond is that, you know, he's coming out of disco out of Motown, out of prog rock, out of these very elaborate music styles. So this must have sounded so fucking raw and cool when he first hit the scene. I was listening to this in 1998, and so it didn't didn't not appeal to me because I do think this song is catchy, but I didn't get it. I didn't get like why Jonathan Richmond was a thing. And I remember my dad <laughs> saying that he just he's like, Yeah, he's just bad. So my dad not a Jonathan Richmond fan. Not a fan? Yeah. And so over the years I've kind of softened on him. He's got a cover of uh David Bowie's Pablo Picasso that's pretty good. <laughs>
0: oh okay. you've never
1: heard it. It's a I mean that's a great song to begin with. But my stance on him has softened considerably. Still not one of my favorites, but I get it now. I guess. Okay. So, tell me your thoughts.
0: I yeah, I think this song it's it's a good, uh, it's like a Greek chorus explaining the movie to us, and I appreciate that. It's just very simple, very direct. You don't need any more than just Jonathan Richmond, a guitar, and some drums, and, and a tree, and a tree, of course. But uh, I like that it's it's basically the theme kind of song that goes throughout the entire film. Every time Ted has like a, an up or a down, Jonathan Richmond is there to just punctuate that scene and every time yeah, he sh- just every- like
1: jonathan richmond is always with us
0: yeah of course <laughs> and every time he reappears in the film it's kind of the same song with a, it's, you know, a little variation a little different based on you know what kind of uh scene it is or where the where the mood of the film is i guess but it's i don't know it's kind of nice
1: yeah i dig it um i do like the line uh they may know about domestic and imported ale, but they don't know a thing about love. It's very clever because the rest of the song is so deceptively simple, lyrically. Mm-hmm. And that's just a strange little turn right my, there.
0: Yeah. My, my favorite little turn is when they say he says that his friends tried to set him up with Tiffany and Indigo, which <laughs> is like such a, an unusual name to pick for that. And I get it's like you have to find a name that rhymes, but still, Tiffany and Indigo. Ooh. That's, yeah. that's fancy and exotic. I want to know more about these people. But no, there's, no. there's nothing about them, but there's something about Mary.
1: Yeah, and now uh, about a, I'd say maybe the third, halfway through the film, we get the second Jonathan Richman song, uh, True Love Is Not Nice. Yes. So, which is, there's something about Mary, but taken to the next level, uh, sort of musically. Uh, it's a little more, of an elaborate orchestration. You've got a full band. You've got a little bit heavier percussion. Uh, and I think those are synths kind of kicking around in the background.
0: Kind of sounds like it.
1: Yeah. Um, And it finally reaches like its final form with uh, let her go into the darkness, which gets much heavier. He brings out the electric guitar. It's got kind of a nice little shuffle.
0: Mm, yeah. And you get a
1: much, a much more expanded uh, keyboard part. So, i um,
0: I'll give you a clip of let's let her go into the darkness because that one's that one's very interesting. Let her the darkness.
2: Let her call, um, Let her
1: Um, and that plays right at the end, right before he gets the, get the the final confession, and then he gets shot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> This, there, this is very much like a punk rock kind of romantic comedy. Because yeah. the, the, the narrator gets fucking murdered.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's sort of Chekhov's murder. Because we hear about Ben Stiller is accused of murder. Yeah. And ben, uh, Or sorry, Ted is accused of murder. Healy is accused of murder. We don't actually get a real murder until the very end of the film
0: there is there is a murderer in there are there are two murderers in the film technically there's the old man who shoots jonathan richmond and then there's harlan williams
1: oh right yeah the The hitchhiker hitchhiker. (laughs) (laughs) so with this one i think we're gonna go through the film Mm -hmm. and pick out the each soundtrack piece it goes in not quite order yeah but but it sticks pretty close
0: yeah it's pretty consistent
1: because we're heading deeper into the 90s and we're starting to see a lot more electronica. this one has that great blend of... So the early 90s jangle pop and college rock sound uh, with the lemon heads. Uh, but we're getting more on the electronic and art pop. So we've got the Dandy Warhols. We've got the propeller heads. Mm-hmm, yeah. And one of the things that I really like about this soundtrack as we'll talk about throughout, there's a lot of links between the artists themselves and also to previous soundtracks we've done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and soundtracks we may or may not get to at some point in the Mm -hmm. future.
1: So, so the first uh, song we hear right off the top as he's going to pick her up from prom is Mary's prayer by uh, Danny Wilson and um, once again, we have uh, our good friends, the Farrelly Brothers, reaching across the pond. Uh, Danny Wilson is a uh, Scottish pop group. None of them are named Danny or Wilson. They're named for a 1962 Frank Sinatra film. And this is like such a huge example of pop, okay. which is a label a lot of people don't like, but uh, is sort of... It's not as like jazz inflected as what we think of as sort of like fusion rock like Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. It's a little smoother. So actually let's go to a clip.
2: I made such a big mistake when I was Mary's So we're me.
1: this was a huge hit for starters and I don't know about you. It's weird though, because let me take that again. Yeah. What struck me about this song, and I didn't realize this was on the soundtrack um, until I was watching the movie. I've had like four or five people tell me I need to listen to this song. Like over (laughs) the years, um, first my friend Mike Wooten actually sent me this album because These guys were big fans of Steely Dance. They take a lot of that sound. But last week, Chuck Winters, our our very good friend Chuck Winters, was like, you have to listen to this song. This is my obsession right now. And then I'm listening to uh, There's Something About Mary, and there it is. So so this one goes out to you, Chuck.
0: So Sorry, guys, but I'm the one who got her to listen to it by accident.
1: (laughs) It works. So...
0: Yeah, this is very like era appropriate. Like, just like with uh, Romeo and Michelle, how it made sense for a lot of those songs to be 80s songs. This makes sense to be kind of an era appropriate 80s song because it's it's like a flashback to the 80s.
1: But it's a weird one because it's very hymn like, it's delicate, but very catchy. Mm -hmm. And it's got that really elaborate, like, electronic piano. Mm-hmm. And that that definitely comes. These guys were, as I said, big Steely Dan fans, and that's uh, Donald Fagan plays the Rhodes. Um, but it makes sense. Sort of, yeah. It
0: makes sense though, because you know, as we find out, this is all Ted telling this story to his quote unquote therapist. So he's remembering it fondly. So he's kind of got that that kind of warm feeling about it. So it's it's. I think he's putting that song to it in his mind.
1: That makes sense. Um, uh, and again, props for not just reaching for an 80s song like what we think of as like the 80s so mm-hmm. no offense to Romeo and michelle it's a perfect movie that is great but it would have been very easy to make a cheap grab there and they didn't they went with something a little a little more artistic i guess and i think that's that's why and her name's mary so of course yeah it fits. you got that that tie right there
0: I also think it has something to do with the fact that this film looked, it looks great and you can tell they've spent a lot of money and effort into making all of the gags look funny and everything look right. So when it comes to the soundtrack, maybe they didn't have as much money to work with. So, you know? uh,
1: regardless, like I said, their soundtracks are excellent.
0: Oh yeah, they're, they're very good at choosing the songs, even if it's not the most obvious choice.
1: Yeah, which is good. You don't want an obvious choice. Otherwise, well, every soundtrack would sound the same. We had to talk about two things in this scene where he goes to pick her up from prom. They're not the things you think about. For starters, I do want to give a shout out to the fact that there was an interracial couple. Yeah. Her mom and stepdad. Her stepdad's black.
0: Yeah, her stepdad is Keith David, who is always fantastic.
1: Yes. Uh, So that was really funny. But we got to talk about Warren.
0: Yeah. Warren is a big part of this movie. (sighs) Okay, so let's just put the facts on the table. So Warren is played by a character actor named W. Earl Brown, who who I know you've seen in just about anything. He's one of those guys who just always seems to be in movies, in TV shows. Bit parts, character parts, he's always around. And he plays... I mean, he's... Okay, so Warren is a special needs person. W. Earl Brown is not. And... That's an issue.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: However, However, sorry, at no point in the film is Warren really the butt of any of the jokes, and his portrayal of Warren is very sympathetic.
1: Yes, but it's still, I think as Robert Downey Jr. put it best, in Tropic Thunder.
2: Everybody knows you never go
0: full retard. You just, you
1: can't have that. It's essentially... Blackface, essentially.
0: Yeah, I don't know what else to put, how else to put it. But then you know, this was—I'm—I'm not excusing it, and I'm not forgiving it. I'm just saying it's there. It was. This is just what people movies did in the '90s. So let's deal with it.
1: Yeah, and it's—you know—we can recognize that it's not great. It has not aged well, but we do appreciate that the film treats the character at least. With as much affection as a comedy movie where a guy zips his balls into his <laughs> pants can muster.
0: Yeah. And so. <laughs> and everybody in the, everybody in the film loves Warren. He's pretty lovable. He's pretty lovable. Like he's he's not the worst part of the movie. I'll say that.
1: No, there's a lot worse. Uh, it. But he probably sh- he absolutely should have been played by an actor. I uh, with developmental disabilities right. again,
0: uh, and, and and reading up on the film, the 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 actual real, the real person that that character is based on is in the film. Like he's one of the uh, special needs folks when Mary goes to visit Warren at his uh, his group uh, event. <sighs> mm-hmm. The real yeah. the real Warren is there, so it's not oh, like good. they couldn't have done it. It's just it's not as bad as it could have been.
1: It could have been a lot worse. Um. Uh, there is, of course, the, the famous uh, Franks and Beans sequence that everybody oh, yeah. remembers this. There's two scenes involving Ben Stiller's penis that everyone remembers
0: this film for. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, man, the 90s were wild. Actually, we were, let's,
0: let's take a pit stop here because I want to ask you a question. Did you see this movie when it came out?
1: I did. I saw this on a date. Oh, wow. Yeah. How did that go? We were together seven years, so I guess it went okay.
0: Okay, that's how about you? Surprising, I saw this with my parents. Oh God, I was uh, I was twelve years old. This was my first R-rated movie.
1: Uh, you're not allowed under seventeen,
0: if unless no. you have a parent.
1: Well, you have bad parents, apparently.
0: I do. Yeah, <laughs> no, they wanted to see it, and they decided, you know what? He's old enough, but they brought my younger brother too. Oh boy. Yeah.
1: Honestly, at that point, I would just either die or emancipate myself i don't think i could look my parents in the eye after seeing this film
0: oh we, we didn't talk about it <laughs> but um you know warren's uh, catchphrase franks and beans was that that showed up a lot in our family cookouts oh boy so yeah thanks for that dad
1: i'm gonna make that part of a speech at your wedding
0: i beg you <laughs> please do not do this Oh, I will. Oh, boy. So let's move on. So we've had Mary's Prayer, and Ted has had his little uh, little whoopsie in the bathroom.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and
1: at this point, he's still thinking about Mary. It flashes forward 13 years, and he decides to hire uh, his friend Doms, uh, who's played by Chris Elliott, Tries to hire a friend of his named uh, Pat Healy, who's played by Matt Dillon, who's weirdly <sighs> handsome in this film. I can't explain it. I don't know. Like, i kind of into Healy with his horrible mustache.
0: His weird John Waters mustache. Yeah.
1: yeah. I don't know. Um, so He hires him to go down and try to find Mary. And as he's driving around uh, Miami, where she has moved, uh, we have the Push Stars uh Everything
2: Shines. Let's go to a All we losers stand in line Just waiting for our time Broken angel, take that plane And finger paint the sky Till everything shines everything
0: Now, I wrote in my notes that this was nice late 90s pop rock and also that everybody's mom was probably into this in 1998.
1: It's funny because I actually saw the Push Stars with my mom. Oh, wow. Yes, in uh, probably the mid... It would have been the uh, the early 2000s because I wasn't quite 21. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't drink. Um, but they were opening for the band Great Big Sea, uh, who later they uh, did some work with. And they played this song, Any Little Town. I remember looking at lead singer Chris Trapper. He was so, so, so cute. And just thinking, like, he is so beautiful. And he can't see me. He cannot see my love for him. And it was this very, (laughs) like, profound moment of recognizing the distance between the audience and the stage. Oh, wow. Yeah, this was at... Uh, Irving Plaza in New York. and uh, I was there with my sister, Sean. My mom was dancing like an idiot because my mom's favorite band is Great Big C. She lo- she's like traveled to Newfoundland for them. And so I'm just like, love Lauren, I can't get a beer. My mom is dancing like a big idiot and like, come dance and I'm like, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> and my sister Sean is just like rolling her eyes and she can drink a beer but
2: oh yeah
1: i know it was still like it was very sophomore year libby oh it was well, yeah i still think fondly on the push stars though so to discover this song was actually kind of cool they're very uh celtic tinge what did we decide that instrument was at the beginning
0: i think it's a harmonium
1: that's what i think um, yeah they are from boston and they do wear a lot of vests so that should surprise no one mm-hmm. um
0: well, but, that also that also answers my follow up question. Was your mom into it?
1: Yeah, she's totally into. It.
0: <laughs> All right.
1: Yeah, she bought the album, which I then stole. Oh, well, uh, there you go. <laughs> and that, like, really infectious light power pop is a Fairly Brothers trademark, as you were saying. That yes, yeah, yeah. uh, we're gonna see in in other films, but it is kind of a touch daft. It sounds really good and maybe it's because the vocals are set like weirdly in the mix but they yeah, don't it's... they don't land as hard um it's it's kind of like cotton candy
0: yeah like i listened to this song and forgot about it two songs later
1: <laughs> um the it definitely has a real hook on the chorus
0: mm-hmm. but
1: in my head that turns into any little town <laughs> so it's it's a good way to start and sort of get you into the soundtrack yeah yeah all right all right so take it away joe where Uh, do we go from here
0: yes then moving on uh healy is on the case looking for mary and he finds his way to miami where he meets up with his i guess his uh connection played by jeffrey Tambor.
1: i knew it well i i didn't know what ian did he's like isn't that uh george senior i was like i don't know he's like and then he opened his mouth i'm like that's george senior
0: he's so he's in that movie for, like, two scenes, and then he's gone. But sort will ta-
1: forget that he's in the second scene. You're just like, oh, that guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's yeah, back.
0: he's back. But then um, in the scene where, like, all of the, the guys are confronting each other in an apartment, that's Jeffrey Tambor's apartment, and <laughs> he's not there. Like, that's his character's apartment, and he's not there. In the extended version of this film, like, this a cut subplot, where Jeffrey Tambor's character eventually gets eaten by his own boa constrictor oh god so like when they go to his apartment to have that big confrontation and they're like oh god what stinks in here it's because he died and he's been, he's being digested by a snake
1: i was wondering about. okay <laughs> that's a weird choice but you know that's the kind of brilliance you get from a future oscar winner
0: yeah exactly and also like now in an era where jeffrey Tambor's kind of sort of been canceled You should probably watch the extended cut of Something About Mary because he gets eaten by a snake.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Another guy, another, you know, straight, able-bodied white man playing a role that should go to uh, someone who doesn't have the opportunities that he does.
0: But then while Healy is cruising around Miami, we hear on the radio the Dandy Warhol song, Every Day Should Be a Holiday.
1: And it should. And it kind of is, but it's a crappy, it's just like a crappy bank holiday.
0: (laughs) Every day is Arbor Day, which nobody likes.
1: Yeah, where nothing is open, but you don't have to go to work. But Mm -hmm. everyone's somehow not able to come over to your house.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. Thanks for not being
1: specific, Dandy Warhols, on what holiday we should have.
0: Every day should be Columbus Day, right? (laughs) No, no. But hey, let's take a listen to this song real quick. This is kind of what you were talking about earlier when, like, the, it was the late 90s going from the jangle pop sound to sort of the art pop electro kind of vibe
1: yes and nobody better represents that than the dandy warhols who mm-hmm. are basically if portlandia was a band
0: <laughs> yep i buy it <laughs> and they,
1: they do hail from the great city of portland my favorite city in the world makes uh makes sense makes sense
0: <laughs> no this sounds like something i should have been into in high school and i just wasn't cool enough
1: yeah same for it. same although like i I knew there were some very, very cool girls who were into the Dandy Warhols. I didn't get into them until fairly recently. Uh, mm. I, I reviewed their album, Why You So Crazy, and I fell absolutely in love with it. Mm. And not only did I give it a great review, but I got an email later from their publicist who said that Courtney Taylor Taylor says you got exactly what they were going for. So thank oh, you. Oh, nice. I know. So, thanks, Courtney. Mm. So, I love just like their pervasive oddness <laughs> and and it's tough because it's it's easy to be weird. it's difficult to be odd, yeah. and anyone can glue a bunch of plastic toys to their face and run around being like, "I'm different, look at me." but to be consistently. Interesting while still being just slightly off center requires dedication, and I feel like the dandy Warhols have kept that pretty consistent, you know, over the last 20 something years.
2: Mm, yeah. Why You
1: So Crazy is a great album, <laughs> um, but I do like this song. I feel like they really are the heir to the talking heads in just talent and strangeness.
0: Yeah, I, f- I feel like I should get into the Dandy Warhols at some point, because mm-hmm. when I listen to this song, this is the sound of me missing out on fun, and yeah. I feel bad about that.
2: Yeah,
1: it's like a hipster uh, vacation. Yeah,
0: go yeah. Uh,
1: <laughs> I really like the the synths in this are really my favorite piece, because they're like silly putty. Like, they stretch, and then they bounce, and then they stretch out, and they bounce.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. Sam. It's like but, it's like a really fun garbage song. <laughs>
1: So, I, I definitely, every Danny Warhol song I hear, I like that much more. They're like if the Flaming Lips were fun.
0: Oh, yeah. I get that. Uh, mm. I
1: don't love the Flaming Lips. I tried. I really tried. but it's all, just, all you can do is try. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to go with the Danny Warhols here. Oh. Uh.
0: So, then, uh, moving on in the soundtrack. Once again, Pat finds Mary's home, kind of spies on her a little bit. And he starts following her around town, getting, a, getting a, a good idea of her routine, where she goes, who she hangs out with, what she does. And while he's spying on her, uh, we hear the next song on the soundtrack. Uh, "This is the Day" by the band Ivy. Yes, Let's take a listen. Up
2: her eyes, to a brand new sky She knows the truth loves She's never come.
1: be noted that one of the members of ivy is the late great adam Schlesinger. yes and this was uh just two years after that thing you do which i also saw on a date uh which he composed all the music for and i don't think that we as music fans have quite begun to process just how prolific and talented he was and the just absolutely devastating extent of his loss.
0: Yeah. Like I'm only familiar with a handful of the things that he's produced over the years, but what I've heard is, is, is always great. And it's always at least interesting. So and, it was real sad to hear that he passed away recently.
1: Yeah. And just that it all sounds so different to be yeah. able to write that thing you do in the style of a song that would be the biggest song of the 60s. Then to go to the sort of dream pop that we have here with This Is The Day.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To then uh, hop over to Fountains of Wayne. And again, that power pop. I mean, just as I say that, everybody listening has cat Stacy's mom stuck in their head. Yep. And yep. then to continue that with... Uh, crazy ex-girlfriend all of the music he wrote for that just this huge expansive palette of song styles that he was able to master i was listening to um the stephen colbert christmas special i was looking up something on there he wrote all that music too really yeah and we just never knew that as as we dig deeper i didn't know anything about ivy until i started this and there he is and i think we're going to see him a lot going forward because he just had such a, a breadth of knowledge and was able to contribute so much to the soundscape of the late 90s, the early 2000s, and then, you know, up to fairly present day. So up to
0: fairly recently, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's a real loss.
0: I was going to suggest we do an episode on that thing you do at some point soon, but then this all happened and I just don't, you know... I don't feel good about it anymore. So I'm glad we at least got some kind of way to acknowledge him in the show at some point.
1: Yeah. So uh, Um, RIP. RIP.
0: I'll also say the only other Ivy song I've ever heard is a song called Worry About You. And I only heard it because it's the theme song to the Stephen King series, Kingdom Hospital.
1: Okay. Is that like Kingdom Hearts?
0: No. God, I wish it was. (laughs) No, it's basically uh, like a a mini-series about, you know, ghosts haunting a hospital. But it's all done by Stephen King. Okay. And, yeah, it's got a very kind of HBO kind of vibe to it.
1: So there's just male nudity everywhere?
0: Oh, no. (laughs) Not like that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But all I'm saying is, like, yeah, uh, all of the Ivy I've ever heard has been for movies and TV shows and... Everything that yeah. I've
2: heard,
1: I've liked. And, and it's weird because, uh, you know, they had this song in, in the movie. They had several other songs. They never had a hit on the charts, so they were disbanded fairly quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But uh, again, we have this this horn section coming yeah. out of coming out of the Neo Swing. It's not quite Neo Swing, but we're right in the middle of Ska Revival. And the Neo Swing revival, as well as the Lounge revival, which we're going to talk about on another track. Oof. But you're fusing that with Dream Pop and that sort of shoegaze, but again, with those like twinges of electronic. And it just, that chorus just destroys me. The harmonies, God, they wreck me. It, like the lyrics don't even matter because... Uh, Dominique Duran's voice is so gorgeous. <laughs> wow. And she kind of reminds me of Elizabeth Frazier from the Two twins we heard on The Crow with Time Baby 3. Yeah. Or a little reminiscent of Echo Belly from Dumb and Oh, Dumber. yeah, I could
0: hear that. I could hear so, that.
1: Um,
0: also, I want to point out, uh, we, we, will, we will likely hear more from Ivy on Me and Myself and Irene, uh, if we went to do shallow how, they were on that as well.
1: Okay, we're not doing shallow how, so.
0: Oh poop. Okay, <laughs> well,
1: <laughs>
0: well, I'll I'll get some more Ivy on this show by yeah. or by Crook.
1: So I'm I'm fine with Ivy. <laughs> I really act. This was one of those songs. As we do this show, I usually take at least two or three songs from each episode, and I think this is going to be. Uh, one of the ones that comes out of this. Just the way that Echo Belly came mm-hmm. out of Dumb and Dumber. Yeah,
0: There's a handful of like sleeper hits on this album.
1: Yeah. So And they they get buried underneath again, like the Jonathan Richman. And then uh, the final track, which we'll talk about right <laughs> at the end.
0: Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Oh, boy. So, Olivia, take it away. Where are we going next?
1: I just want to talk a little bit about Mary herself. Okay. She is definitely a guy's idea of a cool girl without really being a human being or a fully fleshed out character. And for starters, you know that men wrote her because (laughs) as Healy is spying on her, she's lounging around watching TV in her underpants and a t-shirt, and then she goes to take off her bra. No woman lounges around in her bra. That shit comes right off the minute you're through that door at the end of the day. And then her underpants match her bra. <laughs> and she describes wanting a guy who will like eat hot dogs and play golf. And he's, you know, because I'm a cool girl. And we think of, you know, the Jillian the Flynn cool girl. Mary was such like yeah. a, an early draft of that. She's and like, then, she doesn't mind if you fart. She's super cool and hot, and she, like, eats phallic foods all the time and can eat a million of them, but still look like amandias. Diaz.
0: And then one of her girlfriends, uh, played by uh, Sarah Silverman for some reason, like, she sees right through it and goes, oh, so you're looking for a fat guy who likes to golf. Got it.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, they're actually reading through uh, personals ads, which seems so quaint.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: um, yeah and all i could ask is well do you like pina coladas and getting caught in the rain the fact that they didn't use that song here is another bonus the soundtrack has going for it mhm because well, it would really easy to insert that and they didn't oh, or yeah. like a punk cover of it which would have just been the worst
0: if this had been made 2 years earlier they probably would have
1: oh christ
0: <laughs> like i i just feel it in my bones
1: <laughs> so it doesn't help This film's uh, sensitivity, cred, if you will, that when Healy is describing what Mary is now in order to get her for himself, he tells Ted that she is fat, that she's an unwed mother, that she's in a wheelchair, that she lives in public housing... It's like oh boy, and I get why he's doing this, and you know this is not to be like a social justice warrior. But again, it's just like oh boy, that that didn't age well. That's yeah. a joke that just did not make it through the nineties. No,
0: no. So, but again, like if you're if you're trying to call out the uh, the ostensible villain of the film for being yeah. problematic, like
2: yeah,
1: yeah, he is. Oh, totally. But it's <laughs> yeah. So even though he's like weirdly kind of sexy, so um actually you know i think we should take a break at this point um and let's let's hear a word from our sponsor okay
0: you heard of this thing the eight
1: minute abs well this is gonna blow that right out of the water listen to this seven minute abs think about it you walk into a video store you see eight minute abs sitting there there's seven minute abs right beside it which one are you gonna pick man
2: I'm, I would go for the seven. Yeah. I go for
1: Bingo, man, seven. bingo.
0: Seven-minute yeah. abs. And we right. guarantee just to good a workout as the eight-minute folk. You guarantee it? That's, how, do you, how do you do that? If you're not happy with the first seven minutes,
2: we're going to send you the extra minute free. See, that's it. That's our motto. That's where we're coming from. That's from A to B.
1: See, I think that sounds like a great product. I, I, I'll pick that up at my local video store.
0: Maybe you can't go to a video store right uh, now.
1: Is it on YouTube?
0: Maybe. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> I'll buy it for $2. I don't care.
1: Yeah. We're, we're stuck inside. We'll do whatever. So I, got, what, I got seven minutes.
0: You know what I really hate about what I just said? Was that even if there weren't like a pandemic going on, you couldn't go to a video store anyway.
1: Uh, you could exist. if you lived in Portland, Oregon with the Danny Warhols.
0: Ah, fuck. Whatever. There is
1: there is a video store. It has VHS. I have been there. It's amazing.
0: I'm so jealous. It's You have beautiful. no idea.
1: I saw a guy wearing a uh, straw boater hat and a pinstripe <laughs> suit there. I'm like, "I'm in motherfucking Portland." It might have been God. Courtney Taylor, Taylor, I don't know. <laughs> I might have been in a Portlandia skit.
0: You could have. You never knew it. I fucking you have love never Portland.
1: known. So, at this point very briefly, uh, as Tad is going to find Mary, he picks up a hitchhiker, <laughs> goes to pee, gets caught uh, in a sting with a bunch of gay guys, and uh, then accidentally confesses to murdering a hitchhiker. Like you do. Yes. Uh, there is a brief implication of prison rape because this was the 90s and that was funny. And
0: after Ted's friend Dom picks him up, gets him out of jail, and they both trek off to Miami to see Mary, that's when they actually finally see Mary at her job with Pat. And the song that plays over this cue, where Ted finally sees Mary again and he sees Mary with Pat is, of course, Joe Jackson's Is She Really Going Out With Him?
1: And this is a song that everybody knows. I think its place in the film is pretty evident. Uh, I mean, I love Joe Jackson. I love the song. It's written about Lyle Lovett.
2: <laughs> really? Yeah.
1: So, although, you know, Joe Jackson's not that high either. So it's like, slow your fucking roll. All right. You're not going <laughs> to be a playgirl either. But I, I do love Joe Jackson. Mm. So.
0: That's and a good song. Yeah. It is a little on the nose.
1: It's extremely on the nose. But it's a funny sound cue. And it's sort of there and there is a joke. We also see Jonathan Richmond again as a hot dog vendor.
0: Yes. Yeah, af- after that scene ends and and Ted finally gets his like reunion date with Mary, Jonathan Richman comes back up to the uh, to the camera to sing one more uh, one more little chorus for us.
1: Mhm. Um
0: and now is when uh, another one of the big scenes in the film I think that a lot of people kind of remember for some weird reason is Uh, Dom is explaining to Ted how to get ready for this date. And on the radio, we hear the Lemonheads. If I could talk, I'd tell you. Let's Let's go to a clip. This is more of that uh, weird early to mid '90s jangle pop that we love so much. We love it. You and I specifically love so much. I don't know that our listeners care for it, but <laughs> we sure do. But uh, you pointed out that this is uh, this is a very this is very similar to something that um, the Fairleys did in Dumb and Dumber. They would take the very beginning of this song and they would just like that's all you need is the little guitar sting, and then they would move on with the scene. Mm-hmm. This is that song, right? Yeah. Okay. I think
2: so.
0: And just as um, too much of a good thing works at dumb and dumber, this really does the kind of the same job in something about Mary. And I don't know. I actually, I don't know. I don't know what to say about the song itself because I just enjoy it. I'm not the I'm not the music person. I don't have the words. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm watching the I'm watching the music video for this song right now, and it's the Lemonheads at a very strange, uh, like state fair kind of deal. Where there are sad clowns and, and lobster men, and the band is tied up in carnival lights, and it's very odd. And like these mid 90s videos, they just didn't care what they did, did they?
1: Nope, it was all about image.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, so this does have that Jangle Pop <laughs> sound. Um, I just would like to take a moment to read a quote from uh, founder Evan Dando in the November 1993 issue of Q. Which is, uh, I'd like to impart this message to anyone who might read this article. Don't smoke crack. It's, like, (laughs) really bad for you. So, uh, Evan Dando was, like, a huge crackhead. And at one point, he lost his voice because he smoked so much crack. Um, Well, I mean, that
0: explains the video.
1: Yeah. So, the Lemonheads were hugely influential. And... Evan Dando is a genius who has worked with everybody. He worked with two separate people on this soundtrack. We didn't talk about the Ben Lee song that opens the film. No, uh, we didn't. It's whatever. It's kind of cool that he wrote it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, uh, of course, How to Survive a Broken Heart. But Evan Dando wrote songs with him. He, uh, ben Lee wrote a song about Evan Dando. And Evan Dando later wrote songs with Courtney Taylor Taylor of the Dandy Warhols.
0: Oh, my God. I know.
1: It's kind of incestuous. A little bit. So my only thought with this one is I would have swapped this with... I would have swapped this with History Repeats Itself and used this on the montage. And History Repeats Itself is good because History is repeating itself on the montage.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true.
1: This one to me had echoes of "If you don't love me, I'll kill myself," from *Dumb and Dumber*.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: And I thought it had a very like montage-friendly sound.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: So that's that's the only switch I would have made. But as we see when we get to uh, the propeller heads, that works thematically with the Mm -hmm. montage.
0: Hey, everybody. So it was at this point in the recording when we realized that our notes were a little bit off. So uh, we're going to jump back in now and hopefully we'll get back on track.
1: So, but despite all of this, Mary and Ted fall in love in that Mm -hmm. weird montage date way that rom-coms fall in love and we've got the propeller heads with history repeats itself featuring shirley Bassey. let's go oh. to a clip and never turn it off
2: the newspapers shout a new style is growing. but it don't know if it's coming on
0: I love this song.
1: I love this song so much.
0: Believe it or not, I actually have this entire album from the Propeller Heads.
1: Oh,
2: nice.
0: And this is like the chillest song on the entire album because the rest of it is like, imagine this song, but double the pace, double the tempo, just trying to give you a heart attack. Because that's what the Propeller Heads kind of is.
1: Yes. They're Uh,
0: more into like the techno side of things. And I'm really into it. I like it a lot but yeah. this is great
1: yeah. it's a strange and kind of delirious combo yeah and this is another brit duo that uh the Fairlies are so fond of um they this, also covered is, uh so. on her Majesty's secret service and were contributed the track uh backseat driver to the tomorrow never dies soundtrack yes so the uh the shirley bassey edition here is makes a lot of sense
0: yeah. And this is also like the only album they've ever produced. So
1: Oh, that's a shame.
0: Yeah. But it's 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 also just it's this is what 1998 sounded like everybody. Yeah. I'm sorry.
1: So it was But again, we've got that that <laughs> jazz and that that big band. They called this uh Big Beat, which mm, was where yeah. you use funk and R&B and jazz as your main beat in a house track.
2: Mhm. Mhm.
1: And I uh, You know, we're we're seeing that throughout other songs in this era, which is neat. That you know, some bands are using it on the punk side of things. Some bands are using it on the dream pop side of things, the synth pop, or the um, sophistapop. We're seeing it, yeah, yeah, in all these different incarnations, and none of them sound alike. Mm
2: -hmm,
1: mm -hmm. Which is. Fascinating. Uh, Their songs have also been used in The Matrix and Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me.
0: Yeah, and also um, Lost in Space, The Movie. And see, I always talk about this stuff. Like, I always talk about music that sounds like this, always sounds like it came from a video game. This, like, songs from this album were literally used in video games. (laughs) So I guess that's what I'm thinking of every time I say that.
1: Yeah. But (laughs) no, this one, it's the addition of Shirley Bassey that really just oh, makes yeah. this the standout. I'd say this is probably, this and the, uh, the Ivy track are my two standouts from this.
0: Yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah, but the Lemonheads in third. So fucking cool. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's really unexpected. Mm-hmm. So, And that's what the 90s, I feel like, especially in the late 90s, were all about, was just when you thought you had narrowed down what pop music is going to sound like, something else would come out. And you'd be like, holy shit, that sounds like nothing else that's on the radio.
0: Right. And it's also kind of, this is where, like, the long, slow death of rock music kind of starts, too, because that's when, like, pop and techno and hip-hop, it's all starting to merge into one thing, and then rock music's kind of getting left out.
1: Yeah, so we're just like, let's add it with horrible rap music and also white trash.
0: Right, yeah. So you get people like the Dandy Warhols trying to fuse rock music with you know, a little bit more electronic flavor, but then you've got stuff like the propeller heads who are just saying, nah, forget it. Let's just go with the big, the, the big brassy sound and some beats. And that's Mm -hmm. all we need.
1: Yeah. And it all sounds cool.
0: Yeah. RIP rock music.
1: Yeah. But eh, is it really (laughs) missed? There's so much more out there.
0: I I know, but (laughs) I, I do miss hearing guitars on the radio.
1: Yeah. It's just that it turned into something so terrible
0: Yeah, indie rock really put that nail in the (laughs) coffin.
1: No, I'd say rap rock did. The Early 2000s did us dirty.
0: Rap, no, like rap rock was the heart attack (laughs) that that threatened to kill rock music. And then indie rock was like the tremors that finally killed it. No. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, did Modest Mouse do us any favors, really?
1: Oh, I think Modest Mouse is cool. And Johnny Marr played with them, so shut your pothole. No. Johnny Marr, the only good remaining member of the Smiths.
0: <laughs> Somehow, some way, you brought it back around to the Smiths.
1: I did. I absolutely did. And Congratulations. also, the new Morrissey album is the worst thing I've ever heard. Now, he takes Electronica oh, and just manages to make it sound a thousand years old and filled with cobwebs. <laughs> he just this. sounds his honestly. His album art should just be like the Simpsons uh newspaper. This is like old man shakes fist at cloud.
0: Mm, yeah, that
1: is the theme of the new Morrissey album.
0: Old Morrissey shakes fist at cloud.
1: Yeah, he's just like I'm mad at everything. There are people that aren't white. Who, why Whoa. are we allowing that?
0: So last thing about this song, it like, I think we've <sighs> talked about this just a little bit. It kind of punctuates the scene where. Ted and Mary are running errands and going doing like, you know, uh date related stuff, but they're hanging out, getting to know each other again and things are going good and bad for Ted. But it's like he's getting in back into that cycle of once every time he gets close to Mary, something bad happens. Mm-hmm. Like Warren hits him with a fishing rod and or he accidentally gets Warren hurt or they leave the dog on the roof of the car or something happens, but you know what? It's cool. Cause Mary and Ted are cool.
1: Yeah. So there's really only uh one song to kind of finish us out. Wow. So,
0: yeah. I mean, we're going to jump straight to the end credits, right?
1: Yeah. We should finish off. Uh, the big reveal is that Dom is her ex-boyfriend, Woogie. They all confront her to tell them, uh, to tell her, rather, that they love her. Uh, her ex boyfriend is uh, Brett Favre, who she should apparently be with. Favre? He says, Favre. Favre? Favre Beans? Favre. John Favreau? <laughs> I wish. Um, which, we, here we get Let Her Go Into the Darkness, the Jonathan Richmond track we talked about earlier. I just want to make yep. a note about Brett Favre. He says he'll never cheat on her. I guess that was before he sent pics of himself masturbating while wearing purple crocs to uh the jets game day host jen uh Sturger. so Ooh. yeah maybe because he couldn't have mary he just went nuts and started yeah. supporting uh tea party candidates and anyway he sucks so yeah. fuck that guy he didn't deserve mary remember in
0: 1998 when not everybody was fucking crazy <laughs>
1: I guess so. Um but we have our final scene. Obviously they get together in the end and Jonathan Richmond gets shot. And then we have the last end credits scene. Let's just play this
2: fucking song. Y'all know what it is. Why do you build me up
0: last end credit scene you'll ever need because after this came out everybody started trying to copy it
1: now don't get me wrong i love build me a buttercup who doesn't it's a great song
0: it's a classic yeah
1: but this everybody singing the end credits was an abomination before
0: god it's just stupid i mean i get that they were trying to have fun with the end of this movie no and and viewing it through the lens of this might be the last movie we ever make. I can get it. But then, no, it blew up, became the biggest thing in the world. And everybody wanted to do that for the next five fucking years.
1: Yeah. And- I, went,
0: I went to like a summer camp film school in high school. I think I told you about this before. And there were like two different groups who decided their their project was going to be that. <sighs> they were going to pick a song and just do that and just. Everybody just kind of just went ugh,
1: and it's never a song that has anything to do with the film. No, it's just like sure we all like "Build Me Up Buttercup." Let's sing that. Yeah, it's just awful. And I mean, everybody likes you know goofs at the end of a film, or on the special features. You know, we all like a, a blooper reel. Yeah, but every film did this for a while. And it's all because of the fucking Farrelly brothers.
0: That stupid David Spade movie I was talking about earlier did it with is in the heart.
1: Oh, Christ. Yes. Now, the only thing that is worse than the end credits lip sync is the dance party.
0: The animated CGI dance party.
1: That is the worst thing ever. And the fact that right now uh, people are watching trolls to world party which is an anti-metal film i just want to point out and yes
0: go on that
1: makes me angry because metal they're seeing is evil and that's some 80s satanic panic bullshit right there
0: remember how like 10 metal minutes ago rules. i said rock and roll was dead <laughs> <laughs> thanks a lot trolls world tour
1: yeah but that movie is just an extended it's just the end credits dance party over 90 minutes and sold to your kids like sugar cereal It'll rot your kid's brain. Don't let them watch it. They should be listening to this podcast instead. Learn some real shit. So,
0: You dumb fuckers. Yeah.
1: So I think we can draw a line from there's something about Mary to Trolls World Party. It's a straight line. It's like Route 66. It just are, goes from one ask, to the other. Can I,
0: are, are you saying it wrong on purpose? Okay.
1: Trolls World Tour. The point is, fuck trolls. The My Little Pony they rode in on. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: that's right you fucking trolls um but yeah that's that's there's something about mary the big f- finale of the film is all of mary's um wannabe boyfriends and stalkers and hangers on get together and sort of hash out it's almost like a whodunit like who is the real stalker in the room and who's not and they all kind of come around to the fact that, yeah, Ted's the worst one because he's the one that caused all this trouble in the first place, yeah. and they're kind of right.
1: Yeah, they're all stalkers.
0: No, didn't even, We didn't even talk about um her her fake best friend Tucker, who is, in fact, a pizza delivery boy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, he doesn't have any songs
0: no, he associated doesn't. So with him, so fuck him. No reason. Yeah, like, all of the things that were having a moment in 1998, Lee Evans was one of them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> he
0: was everywhere for like thirty seconds. <laughs> he he was in Mouse Hunt and The Fifth Element and something about Mary, and then he vanished.
1: Oh, where did poor, he go?
0: Poor guy. I'm sure he's out there listening to this, being like, "I'm still here, damn it!" So come be
1: on our podcast, Lee. Yeah, tell
0: us you about just... tell us about something about Mary. We'll definitely talk about it again.
1: Yeah, why not? Uh, so woof. How do you rate this soundtrack?
0: I rate this like a solid. B plus. I think it's consistent and good. It's got just enough of like the unique, like Jonathan Richmond stuff peppered in to basically uh, give you the flavor of the movie, but also it's a pretty good portrait of what 1998 sounded like as a, a like a cultural thing, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think the Jonathan Richmond pieces, as much as I sort of rag on Jonathan Richmond, they bring it together as a whole soundtrack rather than just sort of a collection of songs they really yeah. create a cohesive soundscape which i dig
0: yeah the, as a whole i think this movie holds up a lot better than it deserves to <laughs> and the soundtrack as well
1: yeah i mean if you're garbage i guess there it is it is still funny and it's funny in a way that you don't want to laugh because you know that it is crass that it is politically incorrect that it's just a fucking mess But the jokes are funny.
0: Yeah. Like there's something to be said for like a good line delivery, you know? So there it is. There you have it, folks. The Farrelly brothers will return. However, next time on the podcast, Libby, what are we doing?
1: We're actually going to do Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Not the new one. I don't even know what's on that soundtrack and I don't really even care, but we're going to jump to uh, the early aughts with our friends jay and silly bob
0: 2001 immediately (laughs) prior to everything turning to shit (laughs) i can't wait and we're gonna have a lot to talk about because i was really into this for a couple of years
1: yeah this is the one kevin smith movie that i feel like really holds up and i love this soundtrack this is my favorite kevin smith soundtrack uh
0: (laughs) but until then hey libby where can people find you on the internet
1: You can find me on Twitter at Libby Cudmore. You can find me on Instagram at record underscore Saturday, or you can listen to me talking about season five of the shield over at the shattered shield podcast. Joe, where can they find you?
0: Uh, Y'all can find me on the Christmas creeps podcast at Christmas creeps on Twitter. Uh, We have episodes out. We're doing like quarantine. What are you doing at home? Kind of episodes right now.
1: So you actually referenced a recent episode of uh, this great podcast on your other great podcast.
0: Yeah, uh, we did an episode about how to bake your own bread and I needed a theme song. (laughs) And the only song about bread that I knew was Devo's cover of Bread and Butter from Nine and a Half Weeks. So there you go.
1: Go learn about baking bread and then learn (laughs) about feeding jalapeno poppers to your girlfriend.
0: Yes, and also if you want to uh, follow me on Twitter, I'm at cordial wombat. While I'm stuck at home right now, I am live tweeting the entire filmography of Steven Spielberg. Why? Yes he is I don't know. I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> so come join me. We'll have we'll have some fun talking about Spielberg. Right. Um, but until then, uh, you can also email us at ostpartypod at gmail.com or tweet at us at ostparty on Twitter. Um, like and subscribe. All of the stuff. Tell your friends about this show. This is a party we want to get bigger and, and more um, eclectic. And we want everyone to enjoy this podcast. So please, tell a friend about yeah. our show.
1: Yeah, what else are you doing? You're sitting inside.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so, for the OST party, I am Joseph Wade.
1: And I'm Libby Cudmore.
0: Buy the ticket.
1: Take the ride.
0: Is she really going out with you? Is she
2: really going to take him home tonight? Is she really going out with him? Because if my eyes don't deceive
0: me, there's something going wrong around here. You know, Libby, our listeners, those goofy bastards are just about the best thing going for me in this crazy world.